and the more they are taught some techniques for being reflective about what they're encountering, the better chance we have that people will say, you know, I actually met somebody like that. I don't think they would have gone and done that crazy thing. And then we have a possibility at least to open up a conversation instead of shut one down. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. All right, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in today. Super excited about today's episode. I got the chance to speak with Andrew Seligson, who is the president of Campus Compact, a nationwide coalition of over 1,000 universities and colleges committed to the public purposes of higher education. Andrew was here to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Campus Compact at the University of Montana, and we were joined in the conversation by Andrea Vernon, who's been the executive director of the Montana chapter of Campus Compact for many years. We talk about the importance of service learning on this campus and beyond, changes in higher education that are affecting the delivery of service learning opportunities, and the role of higher education in advancing civil discourse in this country. I think it's an important conversation. We touch on a lot of things that are dear to me and I think about daily in my work as a professor here at the University of Montana, and I'm excited to bring you that conversation right now. All right, so we're here today with Andrea Vernon and Andrew Seligson from Campus Compact. Guys, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, Andrew, you are the president of the National Organization, and you're here to kind of commemorate the 25th anniversary of our Montana chapter. Is chapter the right word? Yeah, we, we just call them compacts. Compacts, yeah. great. Okay. Yeah. And, Andrew, you are the executive director of the Montana Compact. Yes, that's Excellent. Correct. So let's, let's just start out with educating the listener on what Campus Compact is all about. All right. So nationally, we are a coalition of about a 1,000 colleges and universities committed to the public purposes of higher education. And when we talk about that, we mean both educating students for full participation as thoughtful and active citizens and also building partnerships between campuses and communities to advance a whole range of public goods in education and health and community economic development. And we see those things as really closely connected, that building partnerships is one of the ways that we integrate students into work on behalf of their communities, their state, the country. And we're organized as a network of offices and affiliates across the country. So we have campus compacts uh, across the country, real, real people on the ground, like Andrea sitting right next to yeah, me. Yeah, actual doing people. Work. Exactly. <laughs> For many national organizations, that's a weird idea. You know, they are basically like a bunch of people in one place, often Washington or something, uh, you know, putting out ideas, and, and that's great. But we try to connect that also with learning from what's happening in real places, real work, and also producing resources that will be helpful to the people actually building partnerships and taking action in places around the country. And, and why is this important? I mean, this is sort of a silly setup question, but you know, why is civic engagement important and why should it be a part of the, of the higher education process? I mean, I come at this, so I'm a political scientist by yeah. training. And, you know, a couple things we know about how sort of how governmental systems and, and public systems work in practice. One is politicians tend to be responsive to the people who actually determine whether they keep their jobs. And so if 
a small number of people are determining that by huge flows of money into politics, very few citizens actually paying a lot of attention, being connected, then the benefits will flow to the people who are making things happen and not to everybody else. So if we want communities that really serve everybody, we need everybody to really be involved and we need elected officials to to know that. And then another thing we know is something I think has become familiar to people in the the sort of vocabulary of social capital, which is where you find effective governments that are not corrupt, that are really responsive to public needs, is where people are involved at the ground level, right. building relationships, building trust, solving problems together, seeing that, hey, if I trust that person to be treasurer of our Little League, they're not going to steal all the money, and we can actually work together and get some things done. And I think if that starts with young people being involved as students, both at the K-12 level and, and through higher education, and not so young people at the moment where they're engaged in learning, that we have special opportunity to build the, that trust, that belief that you can make a difference individually, but especially make a difference when you work together with your neighbors. Yeah, and, and Andrea, we're sort of at a critical moment in this space here in the state of Montana at the University of Montana. We have a relatively new president, mm-hmm. and he's made service, public service, uh, a priority in his life, but also a priority for this campus. Right. And we're, you know, a week after the midterm elections and about to start legislative session in this wacky state where mm-hmm. we only have legislative session every two years. Right. So, how is that kind of that sort of broader vision of the organization manifesting in the work you're doing here Mm -hmm. in the state of Montana. Yeah. Well, statewide, our Montana Campus Compact is made up of 18 different colleges and universities. Um, So that crosses the spectrum of public and private institutions, our tribal campuses. Um, And so we are really helping uh, to provide resources and support for campuses that want to build opportunities for students to have those aspects of engagement in their community. And that looks very different for different types of students. Some Mm -hmm. students um, do, they're more drawn to the more political aspects of community engagement and civic involvement. Um, So we help support campuses um, in a bipartisan way, helping to get out the vote, helping students understand how they can register to vote, where they need to go to vote, what are the rules around same-day voter registration in our state. So we do work um, with our campus partners around that kind of um, issue, especially more recently. But we also help to instill values for students that really want to make a meaningful difference in their community. And so that really revolves around sometimes volunteerism, more on an extracurricular basis. Mm -hmm. Some students are very passionate about the environment or about youth or about um, hunger, homelessness. So they are really drawn to working with local nonprofit organizations, private uh, government agencies that are helping to address and solve these problems. And then we also work with faculty who integrate service learning into their coursework. So, for example, at the University of Montana, we have a service learning course designation Mm -hmm. where faculty can build out a set of experiences for students, um, building reciprocal partnerships with community organizations so that students are meeting authentic needs in the community by applying what they're learning in the classroom. So, So the manifestation of community engagement, civic involvement really looks kind of different depending on the kind of student, what they're interested in. Um, but from a campus compact point of view, we're really interested in supporting the infrastructure of our higher education institutions to have these kind of opportunities available and to build out these collaborative partnerships between organizations that are you know, local in the community, that need resources, that are looking for uh, collaborators in problem solving and how they can look to their higher education institution to help them do that. 
Yeah, and all of that is so important. And it comes at a time where higher education is sort of experiencing a, a shift in the earth beneath it, you know, with the rise of online and for-profit and other forms. You know, I know one of the, the core values of Campus Compact and, and many higher education institutions, particularly University of Montana, is access. Like we're trying to have our product be as accessible to as many people as possible. Yet, that, what comes with that is is some distance learning and some some arrangements that maybe create less of a community here. How are you guys thinking about those dynamics in your work? I would say that is, for us, a a really big challenge, just to be straight about it, that so much of our history and culture has been about building local connections, place-based work. One of the things, so we, we can talk more about this more generally, but as part of an initiative called Education for Democracy, we are right now building an open educational resources platform for making high-quality teaching and learning materials about democracy available to students and faculty without any charge to them. Okay. And the reason I mention it in this context is one of the ways we're thinking, this is kind of a new direction for us, using technology and different ways to connect people, but one of the opportunities we see here is creating a space where people are using materials. Part of what the Open Educational Resources, or OER, allows is people to kind of create and recreate the materials in the space. It's all licensed under Creative Commons licensing. Mm -hmm. And I think part of what we're hoping will develop are some communities of people engaged in teaching and learning and action across the country who, yeah, they may not interact physically, but they're all sort of learning from each other in the ways that they're adding new materials, new models for engaging students out there in the community and then learning from uh, what they bring back into the conversation. And so I think for us, you know, recognizing that that is a way a lot of people are learning and it's important in terms of access that, you know, we recognize it's often, for example, people in rural communities who can't get to colleges and universities. Right. big problem in Montana. Yeah, and you know, they're in so many different conversations we have nationally, that community of people is excluded really from participating. So I think it is really important that we ask, even when we can't get together face-to-face, how can we take advantage of technological tools to build real connections? I think we've seen already how technological tools can be used to exacerbate the forces that are pushing us apart. Mm. And so thinking about whether we can, in, in intentional and thoughtful ways, build and use tools to bring us together I think it's it's a challenge, but I think it is one that we, we have to take on. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, if the forces in our society that are pulling us apart. I mean, you've got on the on a large level you've got political polarization and and but also the media environment contributing to that. Um, you know, there there is a growing sort of the data are suggesting a growing sort of education divide driving our politics. How does that, I mean, we're sort of on the forefront of it here in the state of Montana with this urban-rural interface and, um, you know, what we experience in our state. How does how does Campus Compact sort of address those challenges? I, I think, you know, so f- I think we, for a number of years, have framed our work sort of right in that space of recognizing, in particular, political polarization and the explosion of inequality in the country more broadly yeah. that then is, is reflected in some of the, the dynamics you were referring to. And, you know, first of all, I think th- the most powerful sort of counter to those forces is 
the actual experience for people of connecting across difference and discovering the opportunity to move things forward that people care about. And so I think, you know, the work that, that Andrea was talking about here in the state, leveraging uh, some of the national service programs through the Corporation for National and Community Service, you know, getting people in practical spaces where they're really doing work that connects with their values and the values of people who don't happen to be like them in a variety of ways, I think is just a powerful experience that can change how people will you know, encounter others moving on throughout their lives. And so I think that's that's one part of the story. I also think we're doing some things. So for example, one of the things, there's a, a researcher at Washington State University in Vancouver named Mike Caulfield, mm-hmm. who's been doing a lot of work on how do you actually effectively teach students to distinguish reliable from yeah. unreliable information online? And just really helping people to build some techniques. Nobody wants to be fooled by stupid stuff. Nobody wants to be sucked into crazy narratives. It happens from both the left and the right. And I think the more people have had experiences with people who are not like them, and the more they are taught some techniques for being reflective about what they're encountering, the better chance we have that people will say, you know, I actually met somebody like that. I don't think they would have gone and done that crazy thing. And then we have a possibility at least to open up a conversation instead of shut one down. Yeah, I listened to your conversation with Michael from from Washington State, Vancouver this morning, and it was thinking of ways that it's critical that, that we incorporate those lessons into into our teaching now because we have so many cognitive biases that, that send us down these rabbit holes. I mean, we like to hear things we, that we agree with. We tend to seek out information we agree with. Like all these biases will force, will create blind spots where we won't have any realization that information is fake or dangerous or whatever. And so, yeah, working in these kind of explicit tools of, you know, going to the source and sort of analyzing the language and the structure, all these things. So I, I definitely recommend your, your episode, and we'll put links up to it in your conversation with Michael because it's powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, speaking to the sort of the academic aspect of this as well, there's an example here, um, you know, again, going back to service learning um, using that as a a vehicle to help students bring issues to the classroom that they're addressing through their service work and helping them to realize, uh, yeah, I hadn't seen it from that perspective before. I hadn't looked at that particular social or environmental issue from that perspective before. And um, I teach online. I teach a service learning course through our Master's of Public Administration Uh uh, program here at the University of Montana, and it's a service learning class. So I have students from all across the country in my class, and they're all partnered with different nonprofit organizations you know, it's an introduction to nonprofit administration, so it's a, it's a very easy link to be partnering with nonprofits. And it's been amazing in the online discussion and this online learning format for these students to really come together and understand these issues from different perspectives, not only from their own personal work with it, but from their, you know, their student peers and from different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we start to build some of these platforms for um effective dialogue and really starting to bridge some of the gaps between, you know, the, the, the hype and the, the noise that we hear, getting through that, digging down to, you know, the basic elements of what this work involves and, and how we're seeing impact of that work. I think that's a really important piece of this uh, puzzle, too, is recognizing that I, as an individual person, can have impact. My voice can have impact. And, you know, having pathways to plug in and know how I can contribute my voice and my passion to have that impact is really important. So demonstrating and 
um, and you know communicating that impact is is very valuable in helping to sustain this kind of work because it can be really draining and difficult. Yeah, and how do you even conceptualize impact? I'm thinking about different ways of measuring it and, mm-hmm. and assessing it. How mm-hmm. is that? How does that manifest in your work? Um, in our work with Campus Compact statewide, uh, right now we do some evaluation with students who are engaged in volunteerism and service learning to understand how the work impacts them as a student um, academically as well as personally and professionally. So we're kind of looking at those three realms of student development um, and trying to gauge um, you know, how effective it is getting exposure to and experience with community problem solving yep. at the base level. How does that help you grow as an individual? How does it help you uh, further solidify your field of study or perhaps set you on a different path of field of study? Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes that's true of this kind of work, too. Um, and then also the professional networking that occurs when you reach out across your community and start to work with others um, who are passionate about similar things is, is really important. Yeah. Do we know much about, you know, how either involvement in Campus Compact specifically or civic engagement as a student, how that contributes to your outcomes as a student while you're here, mm-hmm. your success rate academically, mm-hmm. but, but more so your, your likelihood to be retained by the mm-hmm. institution and graduate and go on and flourish. Do we know much about that? Yeah, I would say, you know, we actually have a, a pretty strong body of evidence on the student learning outcomes from service learning, community-based learning, and they're very positive. So, you know, when we, we did a project uh, through Campus Compact building a model that integrated service learning and peer mentoring into developmental education courses for community college students. So these are students coming in, not at the skill level in math and writing that they need to be to succeed. So they take courses to get them up. So the most vulnerable population in terms of likelihood of sticking with college and persisting. And we saw these very significant gains against a comparison group students who had this experience. And again, it's about human connection above anything else. The, you know, having a peer mentor and connecting that with service learning, whereas Andrea was just saying, students could see how their own learning enabled them to do things that they valued, helping their own communities, uh, making a difference with, you know, populations that they became connected to. And so we that's consistent with a whole body of literature on persistence and academic outcomes for students. We, we also have, there have been some studies of alumni who've been significantly engaged in, uh, in both dialogue experiences as students, other kinds of civic experiences. And again, these effects persist yep. that folks feel more able to make a difference in their communities, more committed to doing that. So on the, on the impact for students, there's a lot of evidence. There's more to be said about the evidence of the impact for communities. That is... Mm-hmm. You know, I'd say we have less evidence, but it's building. So there's been an effort uh, through an organization called the Democracy Collaborative. They built something called the Anchor Indicators Project. So the vocabulary is about thinking of colleges and universities as anchors in their community. They're not offshoring. They're not going somewhere else. And they have also been able to show that when institutions are really focused on contributing to kind of moving the needle on some important social indicators for a city, that you can you can measure that progress and you can see prog- progress. And along with an organization called the Coalition of Urban and Metropolitan Universities, they're now sort of building out that work to include more institutions and really try to build up the evidentiary base, not just to show that it's really good, but also to learn what practices make the most difference and how can we as institutions in higher education get better at being partners 
to actually achieve, again, improvements in educational attainment for the whole city or the whole region sure. or whatever else that we're working on. And when you're talking about community, it makes me think about some of the challenges facing many universities, but particularly challenging here at the University of Montana is how best to serve, um, for lack of a better term, the non-traditional student. I mean, we've got students that maybe are deeply ingrained in their own community and, and sort of have to figure out how to how to get involved in the University of Montana community. We've got students that are running away from their community, coming here to create change in their life, um, and anything in between. Uh, that's a big part of our student body here. And, and how responsive to, to the outreach efforts of Campus Compact have, mm-hmm. have non-traditional students been here mm-hmm. at the University of Montana? Yeah, I would say there's, you know, we've had success with that, but we also have challenges. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because it is. It's, there's a lot of demands on our time these days for all of us. And so, again, trying to really capture um, the essence of what motivates and motivates people and what they're passionate about is really what we try to um, help them then see here's how that can manifest or here's how that can connect in different ways in this community in Missoula. In Missoula, we have a plethora of different nonprofit organizations yeah. serving a wide variety of needs. So and like so, 1,200 nonprofits in, in Missoula? Yeah. Well, not quite that many, but yes, we do have a lot. Um, and so, so part of it is just, you know, helping students see that this doesn't have to be something separate from what they, who they already are and what they're already interested in doing. Sometimes it's helping to create those pathways and those connections sure. and um, exposing them to opportunities. Again, there's so much, you know, we're on information overload 24-7. So how do we, you know, get in between some of that to help people realize this is something that is meaningful to them? Um, so we continue to innovate in that area and, yeah. and try to um, appeal to, you know, different aspects of how people are paying attention to this kind of work and, and how it connects to them personally. A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hey, this is Ryan Tutel of ESPN Radio in Missoula, and you're listening to A New Angle. So what are some of the best examples of, of sorts of events or engagements that you just, you just know will get students excited? Mm. You know, University of Montana students, I've been doing this work a long time here for 25 years. Yeah. And um, historically and today, students are very motivated to get involved with youth programs. Um, we have a lot of great after-school programs here in Missoula. We have um, amazing, you know, um, Enrich, uh, academic enrichment programs, and so students are really drawn to helping youth in this community. Another big aspect is uh, the environment. We have a lot of environmental mm-hmm. organizations here, and that is part of a reason you know reason people come to the University of Montana. Exactly. And so that's another area where they really um, uh, you know gravitate to. I would say as well. So definitely, youth service organizations and environmental organizations really strike an important key for a lot of our students. That makes sense. Andrew, is that that theme of youth-oriented activism or engagement, is that consistent across the, the coalition? Yeah, I would say maybe a couple things nationally that, that add to those things, because I agree those, those issues resonate, I think, around the country. I, I do think we've seen a real uptick in students who are interested in political engagement in a nonpartisan way. There's just 
been an upsurge of interest in students in increasing voter participation among students. And we've seen uh, a lot of student-led efforts, some of them taking the shape of uh, things like uh, competitions within some of the athletic conferences and and other kinds of efforts that have really grabbed students' attention. Sure. I think there's a interest in saying this is not about one party or the other. We just think that students should be at the table, and we want to make sure they are. So that's been exciting to see. I'd say the other thing that I've seen a real kind of uptick in the last couple of years, and this is coming from a number of different directions, but is students interested in confronting the issue of poverty among students. Okay. So uh, housing instability, food instability among students, uh, the real challenges that uh, you know increasing debt burdens are creating for uh, categories of students from lower income communities. I've seen students taking that on in a really interesting way and wanting to be part of the solution to make their own university and college communities places that are really supportive and accessible for everyone, some of them acting based on their own personal experiences, others having seen friends facing challenges. But they've, I think they've sort of moved that issue to the front burner so that, for example, college and university presidents are talking about that now yep. in a way that three, four years ago I just wasn't hearing. Yeah, and Campus Compact in Montana has been part of building some of those food pantries at colleges and universities to help address the food security needs um, and working with homelessness as well. So we, we, we work for the day where these are not issues um, in our population or for our student population. Um, but for now, they are real needs that really impact um, students' ability to persist and retain mm-hmm. and be successful. So I think, yeah, I would definitely agree, Andrew, that those are big issues nationally and here in Montana, too. Well, it's really heartening to know that those are issues that students are taking to heart and uh, getting particularly passionate about mm-hmm. supporting other students within their communities. also makes me think, Andrew, that, you know, in your role at Campus Compact, y- you probably bring to the table some notion of what's, what the principles of civic engagement are. But it occurs to me you have to also have your ear to the ground and figuring out what do students think it is? What does it mean to them? How do we create uh, meaningful engagement opportunities that uh, meet the needs of students while also sort of educating them on the broader and some of the broader principles? Yeah, I think, you know, so our field, insofar as it's a field, but this world of higher education, community engagement, civic engagement is one of, uh, as with many academic areas or whatever, tons of discussion of vocabulary. Yeah. Like how yeah. should we talk about this? What do sure. we mean by this? What's right? Service learning, civic learning, et cetera, civic engagement, community, whatever. And I think one of the interesting things is, yes, students speak their own languages, and either we figure out ways to listen and learn from those and connect those with things that we have good reasons for thinking are important, or we're just kind of off on the side. And my sense is that, for example, students right now are more focused on, I would say, action than service as a vocabulary that motivates them. Mm -hmm. So a lot of service is action. It's about serving your community in ways that are about taking action to make it better, to make it more inclusive, to make it more sustainable, uh, to in whatever way have it live up to its own ideals. But I think students, the the language, they want to see themselves as agents of positive change whether it's by building small entrepreneurial organizations, whether it's by bringing together lots and lots of people to push on an issue. And I think part of our job is to grab up that energy and help students see how doing the practical work, 
the very hard work sometimes, slow work of building relationships, of connecting with people who are not all like you, but who might share some interests and share a vision with you, that, that all that stuff is about action that'll be sustainable in the long run. But I do think, you know, yes, it's, it's a lot of it is hearing from them and seeing, you know, w- what is motivating them to get up and get out and do things. And again, I think we, we have a lot of evidence that there's a kind of rising tide of student engagement right now yeah. that we either catch and turn into something big or, you know, we stand on the sidelines and they do their own thing. Well, and that makes me think about this, this you know, latest election and the voter turnout among the, the, the younger demographics was higher, mm-hmm. encouragingly higher than in past uh, elections. And, you know, naturally there's going to be a fight over getting the votes of, of that populace. And, and how does, I know Campus Compact is, is a nonpartisan organization, but colleges tend to lean left and and parents of children who are lean right tend to be skeptical of what happens at colleges. We experienced that here at the University of Montana. And um, how do you kind of view Compact and the opportunities and experiences you facilitate uh, in navigating that uh, politically fraught waters? Well, I think, you know, the, the, first, the first thing I'd say about this is the more students participate, hopefully, the more both parties will see it as important to connect with them. And so, you know, I think that's one of the just the positive things of their getting into the game, that they won't be ignored, that their interests. Sure. But, but again, that hopefully, you know, just as with other issues, uh, we're in the best position when both of our political parties are making different kinds of proposals about how to solve these problems. Yeah. That that's what we start to see with the issues that students are facing. And as opposed to both parties thinking, well, look, these these young people don't show up anyway, so I'm not I'm going to think about senior citizens who do vote. So that's that's one thing. I hope everybody also thinks about senior citizens for the record. Sure. But uh, but I think you know, in it's on the one hand, it is true to some extent that colleges and universities lean left, thought of in certain respects. However, when you look at student opinion, actually, uh, at many universities, there's a majority of students who are more conservative mm-hmm. than liberal. It tends to be much more evenly distributed, even across, um, you know, especially when you look at opinions on issues as opposed to yeah, which yeah. Party, party do you like better. Yeah. And so I think that's part of it is we have a ton of students in America, for example, who are suspicious of the idea that large government programs are a solution to their problems. Mm-hmm. And that is historically a conservative position that the Republican Party has argued for. I think there's a huge opportunity for the Republican Party to connect with the sort of libertarian spirit among young people. Again, there's a real sort of entrepreneurship is a very positive word, I think, among yep. young people. It certainly I, is here. Yeah. I mean, I, I see that in many, many places. And so even whether it's business entrepreneurship or social entrepreneurship, I think young people often think, look, the way if we want to deal with some of these issues, let's not start with a big government program. Let's start with experiments led by real people in real places based on their own motivation and kind of scaring up some resources and getting started. And again, that's that's a small government perspective that there's no particular reason that these are not accessible to the Republican Party as voters. So for, I think for our, you know, from our perspective, on the one hand, getting them to think about participation as important will help drive that dynamic. The other part of it is really focusing on building the skills of dialogue, deliberation, yeah. listening across difference. You know, I think one thing I would hope every college student would graduate 
thinking about is the fact that they've learned things from people who they didn't start out already in agreement with. I would hope that's yeah. a basic yeah, experience yeah. of college, coming from professors, coming from things they read, coming from interactions with other students. And that's consistent with our values, just educational values in general and, and opening people up. And again, I, you know, certainly I know of many individual ex- examples of students who've moved right during college or moved left, or in many cases just ended up with some mix of views that isn't as neatly boxed up uh, and packaged as one view or the other. And all of those things are successes if they're grounded in thoughtful reflection on new evidence. So I think higher education has an opportunity to say that's what we are about. And again, I think if both parties see opportunities with students, th- that will be allowed to play out. Absolutely. It makes me think about our conversation a couple weeks, months ago with Larry Summers was on campus and he talked a lot about comfort you know, in the role of a university, the job of a university is to is to put students in situations where they're not comfortable. And to your point, Andrew, about you know creating a you know, new perspectives and getting people to to see things from other people's perspective and to just be exposed to a whole slate of ideas is is central to exactly what we're doing here. Yeah. The, the only qualifier I would maybe make to that view, because I think that gets mixed up with a lot of debates we're having about a bunch of different things. Yeah, it does. It does. And and the one thing I'd say is I always saw it, so like when I'm in the classroom, I want students to feel comfortable as human beings. Sure. To know that they're respected, that their, their right to be there is never questioned, that their basic human dignity is assumed. But then to be intellectually uncomfortable and to confront ideas that shake their positions. And I think sometimes we mix those things together that efforts to to get us all to agree that everybody has equal right to be at the table and basic human dignity get mixed up with the idea that we should protect students from views that are uncomfortable. And I think we should just be clear about those are two different things and we can value comfort in one domain and discomfort in the other. Absolutely. Yeah, and being able to create situations that, that um, kind of respect those distinctions is critical. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to... You know, one, you guys have a busy day here. You're presenting to the Board of Regents later today, and uh, you got all sorts of celebrations around the 25th anniversary of Campus Compact here in in Montana. Um, But I'd love to close with a little bit of a a personal angle. Um, You know, Andrew, I I, did some reading about your background. You were a tenured faculty member at Hartwick College, and when you made the leap to sort of get into this line of work, and this notion between, you know, should you study something or should you do something kind of came up as a theme. And so can you talk about your decision to, to sort of step off the academic treadmill and, and, and take this, this more of a leadership role and the service orientation? Yeah, for me, you know, I think I had experienced since I made the decision to go to graduate school and pursue the academic track, this just a kind of duality or a divide in my own life Yeah, that I was, I was volunteering for organizations that I cared about. I was involved in political campaigns and other ways in in my community. And that was the reason that I was motivated to study political science in the first place. But I found that it was sometimes hard to get the political science stuff to connect back. And so partly for that reason, and also just partly because I started to discover that it was a really powerful way of engaging students in in learning about politics, I started in my own teaching to bring students out into the world. And I, I 
you know, one of the most uh, fun and and also important learning experiences for me was a project where some colleagues and I took students uh, to Manchester, New Hampshire for the month leading up to the 2004 uh, New Hampshire primary. Mm-hmm. And just seeing the, in, I mean, the, the thing that was most palpable for me was the fact that uh, every night when students would come back from working on campaigns, we would do seminars in the morning and then they would work on campaigns. We would then go and sort of chase down the candidates at bowling alleys and high school gyms <laughs> in the evening. We'd come back to where we were staying at night and the students would just want to keep talking about it. And again, it, it often there, they, it was not lining up according to traditional partisan lines or anything else. They, they, you know, they would argue about the candidates, they would argue about issues, they would argue about strategy, they would try to figure out, you know, a bunch of stuff about sort of that political scientists are interested in about why, who's sure. going to vote which way and all those things. And it was just, I mean, it was fantastic. And so for me, I started to see, you know, and then it was like almost accidentally I discovered there was this whole world of people. Like I was kind of making this stuff up. And then I realized, oh, there's big bodies of research about how to do this well. Yeah. There are organizations that support it. And more and more that started to feel like my community over and above the discipline of political science, sure. which has produced incredibly important and useful research and whatever. But, you know, I, I found that for me personally, being in the spaces where when people, for example, get together, it's not so much to advance their own careers, which is what I often feel at a disciplinary conference, but instead it's about how do we do this better? How can we help build stronger communities? How can we get students more engaged? How can we uh, influence our own institutions to become more socially responsible as participants in their own places? And, and yeah, that's really what has motivated my work since. That's a big leap. I mean, it's it's really honorable because all the reward structures for academia are pretty much, you know, learn more and more about less and less and get more narrow and get more focused and more theoretical and further away from practice. And so to, to be able to be courageous enough to make that leap is is really impressive. Uh, and Andrea, how have you wrestled with that? I mean, you're, you're director, executive director of Campus Compact here, but you're also active in the classroom. And how does that balance with your kind of you know, your experience as a PhD student and the incentives mm-hmm. that were lined out before you then. Yeah, for me, it's always been about sort of this power of transformation through experiential education. And that was apparent to me very early on in my academic career of recognizing that I learn best by doing. That's, you know, Dewey's theory. And, um, you know, seeing that play out in my own life and then being uh, having the opportunity um, to connect with um my academic world and my professional world of of seeing how that can I can impact other students in that same way yeah. and seeing that transformation of those students is what really enriches me personally professionally um, and so that's I feel like I have the best of both worlds because I do get to work from a practitioner standpoint but I also have this connection to the classroom as well and that's been kind of intentional throughout my career um, it doesn't always align in the best way possible, but it certainly has been something that has helped to sustain me in this kind of work. And just seeing, you know, because I've been in this place for a long time, I have so many students that I've worked with over these years that I'm still in touch with. And it's just so rewarding and, you know, gives me such hope for the future when I see how these students finish their um, formal education, they go out into the world. They are, you know, these real model citizens in every way of the, you know, every sense of the word. And they're really making deep impact in their communities and in their field of work. And for me, that's just, yeah, that's what, that's what this work is about. Wonderful. So how do we ensure that, you know, 25 years from now, 
I don't know if I'll be sitting here talking to you and you'll be sitting here talking to me, but 25 years from now, somebody will be celebrating, you know, Campus Compact Montana's 50th anniversary. Right, right. What does that future look like? Is yeah, that yeah. What do we need to do to make it another 25? Uh, we need to, to keep at it. We need to keep innovating. We need to keep um, keep our pulse, uh, you know, our finger on the pulse of, of what's um, driving community needs, what's driving com- um, student and institutional commitment to community engagement work, um, and, uh, you know, just continuing to be aware of, of the importance of this work. It's, right. you know, it's magnified for me over and over and over the importance of the, the role of higher education in supporting and sustaining a vital, you know, a, a vit- vital and um, uh, sustainable democracy is, is, it's imperative. It's, it's important. Fantastic. Yeah. How can students learn more about the great work that you do if they want to get involved or, you know, somehow engage? Where, where should they go? Well, let's see. Nationally, our website is compact.org. So people can How did you guys there. get that? Compact.org. I know. I mean, that's, that's, you know, you, you have to be thing. on the leading edge, right? Yeah, you yeah. know, when, when the web happened. It was before my time at Campus there Compact. There you go. But but I'm whoever always, was, did that was a genius. Yeah, I appreciate that, that work. <laughs> uh, and you can, you know, find us in the normal social media ways on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and things like that. And on your great podcast, Compact Nation. Exactly. The Compact Nation podcast as well. Uh, that's another place to find us. And yes, we are always interested in uh, hearing from students about, you know, if they're interested in figuring out how to get involved where they are, we can help connect them with people like Andrea around the country supporting this work. Faculty, staff, uh, university presidents are the people who join our organization. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we love to hear from anybody who, who, yeah, thinks that higher education should be about contributing to the public good. Super. And students here on campus, Andrea? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can check us out online as well at mtcompact.org. Uh, we also have the various social media uh, venues um, through that website as well. Um, that's, uh, you know, true of all of our institutions statewide. Uh, students can access information about the different awards and scholarships that we offer for students doing work in this field as well, um, and ways to connect to national service, AmeriCorps and VISTA also. We didn't get into that, and we got to kind of land the ship because you guys have an appointment, but so many opportunities for mm-hmm. scholarships, for fellowship opportunities, mm-hmm. just so much support that your organization creates for students. Mm-hmm. It's really a two-way street, and the students get so much out of it. So thank you for your dedication to this work. Thanks for visiting, Andrew, and... Uh, yeah, just just wonderful to catch up and get some of your time. Thank you. It's great to be in Montana and, and great to have the, the opportunity to uh, join you on the show. Yeah, I appreciate it. Super. All right. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Andrew and Andrea. If you want to learn more, go to compact.org. Great website uh, detailing all the amazing work that Campus Compact does. All right. Next week is a big one. It is our one-year anniversary episode. We have a special guest. We have a special interviewer and a lot of special things that uh, we're cooking up. So stay tuned for next week. Remember that a new angle was brought to you by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. By now, you've been listening long enough to know that these guys are big and that they sell pretty much everything electrical you would ever need. But you might not know that they hire a ton of University of Montana students. If you want to learn more about careers at CED, visit cedcareers.com. It's a great website name. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps. Kamzar, Elizabeth Willie, interns, Aspen Runkel, Mason Dow, and Max Gibson. Huge thanks to VTO for the tunes, and finally props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Before we go, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. 
Help us spread the word and be sure to use the hashtag, a new angle when you do. Thanks a lot. See you next time.